Welcome everyone to the Happy Hustle Podcast. I'm your host, Kerry Jack, lifestyle entrepreneur, professional model slash actor, biohacker, and eco-warrior striving to make a positive impact on this planet. My goal is to inspire, educate, and entertain you while reminding you to enjoy the journey, not just the destination, as you happy hustle for a life of passion and purpose. I am so grateful and humbled to be spending some time together today. Now let's dive in. What is up, you happy hustlers out there? I hope you're having a glorious day. Staying present and staying grateful in this very moment. Now, in this episode of the Happy Hustle Podcast, I have on the legendary literary lion himself, Mr. Peter Miller, who has been a literary and film manager for over 48 years and is president and CEO of Global Lion Intellectual Property Management, Inc. Now, he has represented more than 1,500 books, including 23 New York Times bestsellers. And in addition, his company has had 23 movies produced that he has either managed, developed, or executive produced, many of which have went on to win Emmy Awards and other really impressive awards. And I thought it'd be so powerful to have Peter on the Happy Hustle podcast and share his knowledge, his love, his light with all of you, especially because right now the world needs stories and it needs your story. And I wanted to share how you can make your story into a book and potentially even into a movie. And so I ask him a lot of questions regarding sharing your message. And it's very interesting. We get into self-publishing versus traditional publishing. We get into the commissions breakdown and what is, you know, standard, how to, you know, negotiate foreign rights and IP of all different types. It's a very interesting episode. And as you can tell um, early on in the episode with Peter, he is extremely entertaining, actually does multiple roars because uh, his spirit animal is definitely a lion. So you'll get a kick out of this one and, and listening to Peter, you'll learn a lot. Um, so without further ado, let's dive into this episode of the Happy Hustle Podcast. Real quick, I just want to give a huge shout out to this show's sponsor, Therasage, who really does make the world's best affordable and portable infrared sauna. And I personally love my Therasage sauna, so I wanted to team up with them to bring you, the happy hustlers out there, this amazing product. And the benefits of using a sauna are detoxifying the body, decreasing inflammation, increasing circulation, relieving pain, burning calories, sleeping better, the list goes on and on. If you're interested at all in even getting a sauna, you have to check out Therasage. That's T-H-E E-R-A-S-A-G-E. And if you type in code HAPPY at checkout, you'll save 10% on not just the sauna, but everything on their website. And they make some super high quality, awesome products to optimize your health and wellness. So go ahead, check it out at therasage.com and use code HAPPY to get yourself a discount. All right, guys, let's get back to this episode of the Happy Hustle Podcast. All right, Peter Miller, welcome to the Happy Hustle Podcast, my man. I am so excited to connect. Happy to be here, Gary. Thank you. I mean, this is such a privilege. I am so grateful for your time, Peter. I know you have been in the publishing world and been a literary and film manager for over 50 years or 48, just about. You know 
everything to do pretty much with publishing and and telling your story. And I thought it'd be such an amazing opportunity to share your wisdom with the happy hustlers out there and really inspire people who do have a message and want to reach a broader audience. So thank you for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom. And what I want to ask you first, Peter, is what's something that not too many people know about you? Something that's interesting that you can share with the happy hustlers out there. I am an avid collector of the regal and majestic image of the lion. And I am the literary lion. And um, my mother's maiden name was Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. I'm a quintuple Leo born on August 15th. And uh, I started collecting lions when I first, uh, my mother moved to Florida like in 1976. And I went to the Palm Beach uh, Antiques Fair and I bought a beautiful lion um, at which, which I could show to you. Charlie, would you bring that black lion over here? I just, <laughs> just want to show it to my audience. My apartment at the moment, yes. My apartment has uh, about 450-some lions in it. Oh, wow. Super this fan. Is, this is the first lion I bought. Uh, it's a French lion, and I had it refurbished, and it's actually very heavy, and it's an exquisite lion, very proud and majestic. Yes, and, it is. Uh, I, um, I, I, I've put a moratorium on my lion collecting because it's a little too much. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm, I, I'm actually going to try and take the collection apart. But uh, I've spun the, the, the power of the lion, the regal image of the lion into uh, my own persona because I like to roar. Yeah. And, oh, you know, if you, if you if you look if you listen to lions roaring, you know, I mean, a lion sits on the in the in the savanna and he goes. I just like to go. So, if spinning that into what I do, I like to roar for my clients. So, you if you wrote a great book or created a great IP or, or whatever or, or whatever, and I got behind you, I would go out into the world and roar for you. So I'm a man on a mission, but I charge a commission. There you go. Boom. We could end the interview right there. That was great. I love it. So basically, break down how you got into this world of publishing and intellectual property and essentially where you are today and what you do for clients. Okay. Well, I was a speech and theater major when I was in college. So I went to Monmouth College, and I wound up writing and producing, directing plays. And I did a season of Summer Stock, a stock at the Parkway Playhouse in Burnsville, North Carolina. Um, so I was an aspiring actor, and I actually tried out for Greece. Oh. Uh, before I try, tried out for Greece, um, about way back when, this is like 1972, I had gone to... Um, Travolta Bermuda. beat you out, huh? Excuse me? Travolta, Travolta beat me out. I, I went to Bermuda on a vacation, <laughs> and I sang, you ain't nothing but a hound dog crying all the time. Nice. You ain't never going to rabbit, and you ain't no friend of mine. I must have sang that at least 150 times <laughs> on my mo motorbike. And I actually met a, a, a man who's deceased now who became very famous, uh, and a friend of mine for years, Charles Krauthammer. I don't know whether you remember who Charles Krauthammer was. A little before my time, I think. But but Charlie, he died a couple of years ago to impress me. He drove his moped into the swimming pool at the place where we were renting uh, condos. And uh, I helped fish it out and started it right out and drove away. So um, I've had an amazing life. So I went back to New York 
And I met a man by the name of Carl Eukster through a lady friend of mine who had created a musical called Olio. And being a speech and theater major, I had also uh, produced an off-off-Broadway play, uh, which was called The Ballad of Boris Kay, which was uh, written by my dear friend and former uh, roommate when I first moved to New York, Michael Coyne, lost contact with him. And this musical Olio had a song in it that went something like this. Never be an agent. No one loves an agent but his mother. His mother. No one loves an agent but his mother. Well, my mother always loved me, but somehow I didn't take the advice of that. So I proceeded to, proceeded to produ produce that musical. And in so doing, I met Carl Eugster's attorney, Kenneth J. Lapatine, who became a very famous attorney. And coincidentally, he had written a novel, and he had suggested a guy by the name of Al Zuckerman. Hmm. And I met Al Zuckerman, and Al Zuckerman and I wound up forming a literary agency called Writer's House. And Writer's House is a very big independent agency. They've represented many famous people, including... Um, uh, uh, a lot of people. We'll just a, a, we'll leave it at that. People, but I'm trying to think that the, the Twilight Zone, the not not the Twilight, the the uh, Myers. What I can't think of all the names. And then the guy that wrote the Eye of the Evil, Evil uh, Kenneth. Um, I can't. My my brain is just fried a little bit. I'm so excited about being on his show. He did it May. In a year and a half, Al and I had sold like sixty or seventy books. Oh wow! And we're enormously successful. And we were getting. This is 1970. Three, hmm. and we were getting like quarter of a million dollar advances for books. Wow, it was un unheard of. Yeah. Al was the former writing instructor, uh, instructor from Harvard. Unbeknownst to me, his father was a major gangster, a, a Jewish gangster. Always remember the Italians brought the mafia to America, the Jews made it profitable. Hmm. Well, Al's dad was friendly with Meyer Lansky, if you know who Meyer Lansky was, and um. Be that as it may, Al and I had a falling out. It was precipitated by him, and he aced me out of the business, which I was an equal partner in. Hmm. And I wound up working in that business for almost two years, and I, I got a all grand total of a $3,750 severance. And yeah. when I left the company, I later found out that he had sold books and had hidden them from me, so there was more value in there. Be that as it may... I was not a fan of Al's for a long time because he basically severely screwed me in a business deal. Yeah. But I've had a great life. I have nothing to complain about. And I'm grateful to him for his intelligence. He's also a published author. And uh, when I met him, he was producing a Broadway musical called Zing. And um, I uh, was producing the off-Broadway musical Olio. And we started talking, and I was living in a brownstone that my brother Robert owned uh, at 329 <laughs> West 88th Street. And there were a couple writers living in the brownstone. So that's how it started. And I never looked back. And now, so, okay, there was, I mean, there was a lot to unpack there. I mean, it sounded like, you know, some majestic characters from this amazing book, but truly it's just your, the book of your life. So let me unpack some of it. So essentially you started almost, you know, 
by accident, it sounds like you didn't intend to be an agent. You just came across a great opportunity, started representing authors, books, plays, and now you sell IP and books and make them actually into movies and, and films. And what I'd like to what I'd like to really get specific on in this interview is for the aspiring authors out there, let's give them some some real, some tangible actionable takeaways on the publishing process and say they have a really good story or really good, what they think is a really good story, and they want to turn it into a book. What is the process in order to get a publishing deal with you or even to approach you? What, what, what do you look for in, in an aspiring author in a script? And what is that, that process? Um, we look forward to long-term relationships with professional authors. Um, I'll give you the bad news first. Okay. The publishing business is more complex and more difficult to break into now than it's ever been. Mm. And you're looking at a guy here that's been doing this for 48 years. Maybe I've sold over 1,500 books around the world. I've made many people millions of dollars. And uh, it, 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 it used to be, you know, I, I love the saying, a good book is a good book is a good book. But now it's not only having a great book, but it's having a great platform. Mm. So with the advent of technology and, and email and the Internet and blogging and podcast and uh, all the bells and whistles of technology in the modern world and the advent of, of, of e-readers, uh, PDAs, I mean, I don't know quite exactly how long the iPad has been around, but I'm going to say like 14 years, give or take. And there's probably 300 million or more iPads in use. And then, of course, you have the Kindle and the Kindle Fire and the Kindle 2. And then you had for a brief while the Nook. And then there were other e-readers that were happening. But the the, the two main ones are the iPad and um, the Kindle. Kindle. And we're, we're morphing as human beings. So I think people are looking to read shorter books, but of course, Harry Potter broke all the, the rules. You know, uh, yeah. we're representing a novella right now called The Elephant Queen that I love. I'm comparing it to Jonathan Livingston Seagull, although it's longer. You may not remember Jonathan Livingston Seagull, nope. but it was a very short book and it sold several million copies. It was written by Richard Bach who was a, a famous aviator. Um, and then... Um, so so, so go keep, go, keep going, but I, wanna, I want to... So, you, I mean, you've, you basically said that right now it's more difficult than ever to break into the publishing world. But let's say people are up for the challenge and they're listening to this show right now. What would you say to them? What's the, what's the game plan that you could bestow upon them to really help them catalyze their growth and break into the publishing world and sell their book and even potentially make it into a movie? Well, they have to do essentially two things. They've got to write a great book and they have to have the God given talent, not just not be a great typer, mm-hmm. but a great creator. Okay. I mean, books are works of art. And all reading for me should be entertaining. Uh, I didn't read um, uh, A Brief History of Time 
because it was inaccessible to me. I don't know whether you ever tried to read it, but it sold like 12 or 14 million copies. Al Zuckerman represented it. Um, he's deceased now, but um, every now and then a book like that will appear. It'll become enormously successful. Um, I recommend that they really practice their craft, that they have kind of an outline for how they want to unfold as an author, what their brand would be. And then they simultaneously have to build a brand. Hmm. And most authors loathe being involved in their brand. They say, I'm an author. I'm not a marketer. But in the modern world, it's all about marketing. So anybody that comes to us, if they don't have an established social media platform, and I wrote a, an article about it that I'm willing to share with your audience. They can find it on our website or if they email me or my assistant, Charlie, at the charlie at globallionmgt.com, um, we will send you an article called Promote, Promote, Promote. And it's about all the bells and whistles you as an author have to focus on in terms of expanding your brand hmm. and building your fan base, your community, um, and getting ready for potential success when you get a publisher to take on your book. Mm, okay. In addition to that, if you have any money, you might want to figure out how to invest in certain strategic things to expand your bandwidth in the universe, which would include a website, which would include a blog, which would include some podcast. Um, and there's ways that you can build your brand but it has to be done on a daily, regular basis. It, you just don't snap your finger mm -hmm. and then a week later, uh, 10,000 people on Facebook. Yeah. That's not how it works. Um, so what happens when you write a great book and you send it to a literary manager like me and I decide I want to roar for you, then we have to package you and your brand. And then I have to go to a publisher, submit your book, and uh, let's say the publishing um, editorial meetings on a Wednesday morning, so 22 people will be sitting in a room. But right now, they may not be sitting in that room. They may be all be Zooming. Mm. And somebody's going to bring up Carrie Jack and his new novel. The Happy Hustle. A, a happy Hustle. <laughs> and somebody's going to say, well, who submitted The Happy Hustle? And they'll say, well, Peter Miller. And they say, well, we know Peter. What, what, what? They'll say what it's about. And they'll talk about the book. And then somebody will say, like the editor-in-chief or the publisher, who else has read the book? And that editor may have shared it with a couple of other people, and they might say, really like the book. I'm happy that it was shared to, with me, blah, blah, blah. And then somebody will say, well, what's their platform? Platform. And that includes all the elements of a brand, mm. like the website, the blog, how many people are hitting on the website. And then also accolades, how many famous people have said good things about you. Mm. And then if it's a nonfiction book, you can have an introduction, preface, forward, or prologue. Or uh, in, the, in the end, you could have an epilogue or an afterward. And you need to package, any author needs to package themselves to the very best of their abilities. Because the competition is extremely fierce. This mm. is a big business. Yeah. And the, the, the sales uh, markets for books have diminished. I mean, you used to have uh, Borders books and Barnes & Noble. 
Well, Barnes and Borders doesn't exist anymore. Barnes and Noble is much smaller. Yeah. And I heard I'm, I'm, we're just doing a deal on a fabulous book I represent called Birth of the Americas. And Baker and Taylor almost went bankrupt. So there's only four or five major buyers of books. Amazon, mm. Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, uh, Baker and Taylor, and Ingram. So they're the five major buyers of books that distribute to bookstores. But maybe, I don't know what the exact statistics are, but it's maybe 50% of all books are sold online now. Yep. Particularly dealing with this pandemic, a lot of people don't want to open the packages from Amazon. It's true. Who, who wants that? So somebody's got to come to your house and deliver yeah. it. Where have they been? Did they sneeze on your package? Did your package <laughs> wind up? And you know, I mean, yeah, well, it's true. Yeah. So if you get a download, you know, it's just you and your computer. And during this pandemic, I've been very careful, as I know you have, and your uh, people surrounding you, because this is serious stuff. Yeah, it is. Um, well, let me, I mean, once again, you just went super deep and I want to unpack it for the happy hustlers out there because you said so many great things. So first and foremost, you have to write a great book. Like that is essential. No skipping on the creativity and obviously it needs to be edited and checked for, for spelling and grammar. When you submit to Peter Miller and any other literary agent, you want to really make sure that you're putting your best foot forward. So that's number one. Then when you're stepping into the publisher's office, you want to make sure that you've done everything in your power to create a platform, your brand on social media, on, you know, your website, on all different types of channels, really using your brand to create an audience and, and leverage your message. That really is what the literary agents are looking for. So if you're out there and you're thinking of writing a book and creating it to be sold and creating a book, you know, that can then be monetized in far into the future, you have to have a brand and you have to have a platform, you know, that you can share your book with and obviously write a great book. So great points there, Peter. I really appreciate you breaking down that process. What does a typical book deal with you look like just in terms of like dollars and cents and, and commissions? Like what is the, the typical standard if there is such a thing for an author in terms of what percentage they own of their book? What percentage do you own? What percentage does the publisher own? Can you break down that process? Yeah, and it, it, it's, it's yeah. real simple. I'm, I'm on automatic pilot in that regard because I've been doing it forever. Mm -hmm. Essentially, a relationship between an author and a literary manager such as myself. I call myself a manager because I've also produced movies. Mm. And I'm also entrepreneurial. And I've invested in books. I've packaged books. So it's a little different than the traditional literary agent, which the traditional literary agent really doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but, I mean, it may exist to a certain extent, but I'm from the world where you wore a tie and a, and a, and a suit or a sport car to lunch, and if you could handle it, you had two or three martinis or Manhattans. Those days are long nice. gone. <laughs> so I work on essentially a 15% domestic commission, okay. which means the United States and Canada. So if I sold your book in the United States or Canada, I get 15%. And if I, in the negotiation with the U.S. publisher, we kept foreign, and I was the broker of the foreign rights, I would get a 25% commission. 
And out of that 25% foreign commission, I pay the foreign agents we work with because I always try to earn a 15% commission. Very few agencies charge a 10% commission. And some agencies charge a 20% foreign commission. And uh, I charge a 25%. And the reason I'm a little bit more expensive is I'm good. And I always try to get my clients more money. I'm in a battle right now where we're closing a publishing company, a deal today for a great book. And part of it was my client was going to buy 5,000 copies. Well, originally it was $12 a copy for the 5,000 copies. So you can do the math. That's 60,000. Well, we're now at 40,000. So I've saved them $20,000 on the acquisition of books. Um, The business of negotiating a contract between the author, let's say you, you're the author, and a publisher, is what I do for a living. That's I'm a pro at it. Mm -hmm. And usually publishers pay a royalty on the retail sales price of the book. There are two kinds of deals. Well, actually, three kinds. There's a royalty on the retail sales price of the book. Uh, There's a royalty on the net sales price of the book, which I don't like. And then there are profit-sharing deals. So I've done all three, preferably retail sales of the book. Um, and usually, in, in, in the old world, publishers would pay advances. I mean, I made a deal once for $5 million advance wow. for a client for a four-book deal. I made another deal for a for $3 million advance. I made another deal for a $1.4 million advance. Um, these days are not here anymore. Hmm. Um, I have one book that I represented. The most successful book I ever represented was called Princess, the true story behind the veil in Saudi Arabia. That book has made over $4 million in royalties. Wow. It was published in 1992, published in 28 countries, a literary guild main selection. You may not, your audience may not even know what a literary guild main selection is. That was a book club. Book clubs were uh, the predecessors to Amazon, and you would join a book club, and you would get a book a month at a reduced price. Hmm. Um, So their publishing contracts, in addition to the royalties that are paid for the book, have a long list of of what are called subsidiary rights or ancillary rights, which would include um, foreign rights, audio rights, digital rights, um, uh, dramatic rights, film, television, um, and also for serial rights, which is the right to publish it before it is a published book, and second serial rights, and syndication Mm -hmm. rights. So all these are subsidiary rights. That's why authors hire literary managers, because you want to get a seasoned literary manager, Mm -hmm. and for your happy hustlers that are out there, you have to be very careful when you choose a literary representative yeah. because you're choosing somebody to represent yourself. Yeah. And if they're not good or they're weak or they don't know what they're doing or they're a pushover and don't really know how to defend your rights, they're essentially hurting you and possibly costing you money and your career won't escalate. Mm. So if you're desirous of being a successful author and possibly having a career, um, choose who represents you wisely. 
Mm, great points there. So there's multiple different types of deals and royalty commissions that can stem from just one book, from foreign rights to domestic rights. But from what I'm gathering from you, the average range that a literary agent should take or will be taken is somewhere between 10 to 25 percent for domestic rights and similar to foreign rights. So if someone's taken more than that and they have hired a literary agent, you may be getting screwed a little bit. Is that kind of what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, well, it's 10 to 15% for domestic, U.S. Yep. and Canada, Yep. and 20 to 25 for foreign. I charge 15 domestic, mm -hmm. and I've made many people millions of dollars. Yep, so you're people, worth it. <laughs> the, the, I, I, I don't think they're complaining. Um and I'm an old-fashioned literary guy. I, I, I'm in the business of practicing maximum integrity. Mm. I run a small boutique shop now, but I love what I do. I'm never not going to do what I do because, quite frankly, I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> but my world has changed. I love to go to California. Yeah. And, for example, I'm, I'm taking the month of July. I just rented a house in Connecticut. And I was going to fly to New York and then go into New York and then go out to Connecticut. I'm avoiding New York. Yeah. Right now I'm just probably a good to, idea. <laughs> it's going to fly to Connecticut. Why go through all that possibilities until this pandemic yeah. uh, burns out completely? I'm going to be with my family. We're going to be a beautiful house, very close to the water, nice. all that. So, you know, so thank God for technology. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. I've been on more Zoom meetings. Thank God for Zoom. Yeah. And WhatsApp and FaceTime. Yeah. Um, we're lucky. So now well, we've got to adapt to the modern world. Yep. But we need writers. We need authors to create uh, opportunities for us to escape. Because why was Twilight so successful? Vampires, a whole series of vampires. We had a vampire invasion. Mm -hmm. People wanted the escapism. Yep. When you get involved in the world of vampires or you get involved in that fantasy, or if you're reading any book, it could be a book about the human condition. If it's extremely well written, it triggers your brain to enjoy what you're reading and yeah. gives you an opportunity to escape. Yeah. So during hard times, people are going to read more. And, that's, a, that's a good point. And turn on Netflix. Yeah, and that, Amazon Prime. Yeah. Very true. Well, I definitely know you are a man of integrity, especially because, you know, Stephanie, my girlfriend, works directly with you and has spoken very highly. That's why we I wanted to bring you on the mic and, and share your love and light with the happy hustlers. And I really am grateful because I've learned a lot already. Now, one thing that I hear a lot, especially from authors in this modern day and time and aspiring authors is, do I go the traditional publishing route or do I go self-publishing route? Can you break down the pros and cons of each and potentially what, you know, you see as some of the biggest mistakes when people do self-publish? Yeah. And, and, and that's a question that we have to deal with every day. For example, there's a book that is being self-published now by the author that we wanted to represent called Digital Downfall which is about the power of, and, and also the corruption of the internet. Of course, we all have heard the stories about the Russian interference with the 2016 
uh, election, Donald Trump will say, oh, there never was any Russian interference. I absolutely believe there were Russian trolls manipulating the media and the Internet. Yeah, absolutely believe that. Well, there is proof. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, but he'll denounce it. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, and, 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 you know, fake news. He's the inventor of fake news. OK, <laughs> he said that that Obama wasn't the president or, or an American citizen for five years. That's just his horrible, ugly, evil game to move the, the, the pieces on the puzzle. Um, so we're in a world that's constantly changing and selling a book now, I swear to you, is more difficult than it's ever been Oh wow! in my entire career, hmm. particularly now because there isn't a publisher sitting in their office in New York City. Hmm. They're, they're all... And, for example, Random House, we're in the throes of doing business with Random House uh, on something. There's nobody there. They're not going to open up until after Labor Day. Wow. Many people are furloughed, and some of them are furloughed and being paid. Some of them are furloughed and are going to be fired. And some of them are furloughed. They're going to get their jobs back, and they're probably going to work remotely. So... The traditional publishing deal whereby an author writes a book and a literary manager like me sells it for you is extremely difficult. Hmm. Now, the self-publishing route, and there are a lot, anybody can publish a book on Amazon's Create Space. You can do it for a few hundred dollars, but you're going to wind up with a cover that looks horrible unless you design your own cover. And covers are really important because, remember, books, if they're in a bookstore, are a point of purchase sale. And something about that cover has to be catchy, extremely professional. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been involved with book covers that cost $25,000 to create. Wow. They used to spend $5,000 for the author shot. Wow. Okay? When there's big money involved. And now mm -hmm. everybody has an, I, uh, an iPhone. Yeah. They can take their own author shot. So. You've got to be very careful in self-publishing your book because most self-published books look like shit. They do not look professional. Yeah. The author does not have the experience to choose the right type. The type is too big. The margins are not right. They don't choose the right paper. Um, every mistake imaginable can be made in self-publishing your book. If you work with Amazon's Create Space, they have a formula. The problem with Create Space, to my knowledge, is you can only get a trade paperback book. You can't get a hardcover. Um, and the problem with trade paperback books for me is that when you get that book and you, you read the first 20 pages, the cover gets dog-eared. Mm -hmm. So I always prefer hardcover books or what's called paper on board where they laminate the book jacket to the hardcover. And that's a durable book. And when you put it back, back on your table, it'll be flat. It won't be all curled up and, you know, look ugly. I love books. Books are works of art. They are. So if you self-publish your book, you still have to have a platform. Yeah. You have to have a social media engine to drive, uh, you know, uh, and attract people to your blog, to your website. You've got to do regular podcasts. You've got to do a book trailer, maybe. Mm -hmm. you, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Not every author 
has the ability to be professional markets marketers. That's why Stephanie's so good. I mean, I'm grateful to have Stephanie mm-hmm. in my uh, to, to have her guidance because she cares. Mm-hmm. She cares about her reputation, and she has integrity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I normally don't work with people remotely, uh, but I trust her. Mm-hmm. And trust trust is the most important thing in any relationship. I agree. And, uh, I can talk about the psychology of how I choose clients if you want, but if, whatever you want me to talk about, well, I, I'm, I, I'm happy to talk about book deals, movie deals, cable deals, audio deals, digital content deals, whatever you like. Well, that was great. I mean, just to unpack some of what you said, in terms of self-publishing versus traditional publishing, what's most important to remember if you are going to sell is to really make sure that it is a professional representation of you, your brand, and ultimately your business. Making sure that the cover is properly created. Making sure that your pages and your font size and your grammar and everything is on point. Because people now don't tolerate misspelling or you know things online that just aren't professional. So those are great points there in terms of self-publishing versus traditional publishing. What I'd like to, you know, ask you is how do you make a book into a movie? Because I know you've represented and sold, you know, 1,500 books. How many of those have you made into movies? And what is that process like? Well, um, when, I, when, when I say, when you say to me, make a movie, well, I don't really make a movie. You make, make the deal. I make a movie deal. Yeah. And I'm expert at that. I've been to California. I've been to LA maybe 350 times and I haven't been to LA. The last time I was in LA was in December and it was a rocking good time. But unfortunately I got the flu. (laughs) Um, and, um, um, I never metamorphosis. I didn't like, and the metamorphosis of a book into a movie is a magic trick. I saw a movie last night called uh, Wind Dixie, Breaking Wind Dixie. What was the name of it? Because of Wind Dixie. It was a dog movie. And I had mentioned to the woman that produced it, Joan Singleton, and wrote the screenplay. And her husband, Ralph, who was the executive producer, it was financed by Walden Media, which is owned by Phil Anschutz, who I think is one of the biggest stockholders of Budweiser Beer or whatever, or Anheuser-Busch, or whatever it's called. Um, I love dog movies. And I had mentioned Rin Tin Tin, and she says, oh, you got to see my movie. It was made in 2004. I absolutely loved it. Um, um, The the movie business is really tough, because unlike books cost thousands of dollars to to promote, movies cost millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So, it's not only the millions of dollars to make the movie, but it's the $30 million to open it. Mm. Okay. And that whole world is changing and the pandemic is completely changing. I haven't been in a movie theater since um, maybe the end of February. Yeah. For- fortunately, I have a drop down screen and overhead protector. I have a movie theater in my living room. Yeah. And it's very comfortable. And I can make myself a Negroni or a margarita or a daiquiri or have there some you go. Scott and make some organic popcorn. I don't like the popcorn. So the movie business is changing. And AMC filed for bankruptcy, I think it was last week. Wow. Um, 
that whole world is, I don't know what's going to happen with all those movie theaters. Yeah. Because uh, I don't want to, I just told you earlier, I'm not going to go to New York. I'm going to go directly to Connecticut. I don't have to be in New York. I can have a Zoom call. Yeah. Um, so the movie business and selling the movie rights to your book is an extraordinary piece of magic. And look at John Grisham. You know, the the firm made his career because I think a time will kill I forget the exact history. The firm may have been published before Time Will Kill, which were his first two books. But when that movie came out, it just was enormously success- successful. Of course, mm-hmm. it had Tom Cruise in it. <clears throat> Movies are about movie stars in the modern world. There aren't that many independent movies, except there's the exception to every rule, like Moonlight mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, which was a Miami story, which broke a lot of records. Um, I, that world is completely changed. For example, Netflix, who I don't know how many billions of dollars they're spending on programming this year. I heard it was $17.2 billion. I didn't, I didn't go on Snopes or or figure that out. But they're the king of content now. Yeah. And then uh, it's amazing how long it took like Disney plus to get in the game. Amazon is probably a close second. Apple is really not there. Google's really not there. Um, Hulu, <clears throat> I don't really use Hulu because I, I have HBO. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to get back to Showtime to watch um, uh, Ray Donovan, one of my favorite shows. <laughs> um, and, and, and what else is on? Billions. That's yeah, good show. Yeah, so yeah. so you said it so it's changing to turn your book into a movie. You you basically said it's very difficult given the current what are the let's say the foundation principles if there is some that you could recommend to an author to write into their book, into their script in order to really potentially sell their book and make it into a movie. What are some of those non-negotiables that need to be included in the script? Well, to go back where we started, you got to write a great book. Yeah. Then you got to create a great platform. And when you're writing a great book, you've got to design it. So it has motion picture potential. Uh, I could also throw in there in writing a great book. I would prefer if I had my druthers to do a magic mix with any author that I could talk to is to write a global book, Hmm. to write a book that has global marketing potential. Because when you think about the multi-billion dollar brands that exist, that have evolved, including Indiana Jones and Jurassic Park, uh, I think Jurassic, uh, yeah, Jurassic Park was based on a novel Um, and Twilight and the Hunger Games, and Harry Potter, um, and you can go on and on and on. The Mission Impossible, James mm-hmm. Bond, these are all based on book franchises, and they became enormous. Game of Thrones. Yeah. I mean, these are many of these are billion-dollar global properties. Mm. So you've got to, like, really re- think about what the future is and what's going to be entertaining. Yeah. Okay. Um, horror won't stop. I really, at this particular point in my career, I'm more interested in transformation, spirituality, nice love and happiness, adventure, cool, uh, education, 
from an edutainment or entertaining point of view, um, Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. So if I can be involved in any book, a novel or nonfiction book that manifests manifests change in your thinking and can help you be a better person or touch your soul or touch your heart so you will spread more love in the world, that's that's how I want to continue my life. And I really choose, I mean, in my career, Carrie, I've represented over 90 true crimes. I'm sick to death of murder and mayhem. Yeah, I've had <laughs> dice him, dice him, shoot him, uh, bury him, burn him. I, I, I don't want to do that anymore. No, it doesn't. I, it doesn't do anything for my heart. Yeah, I love and, that direction that you're on. So you're basically focused now on impact and sharing love and, and kindness and light and spiritual change and positivity in the world. That's a that's amazing. Yeah, it's 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 not easy, but in my lifetime, I've done a lot of uh, mind, body, spirit books. I used to represent the Edgar Casey Foundation. I never got that movie or TV series off the ground. We had Kevin Spacey at the time interested in playing Edgar Casey, and I was working with Edgar Casey's grandson, Charles Thomas Casey. I went to Virginia Beach. Um, I, I mean, I've, when I think about the stuff, the people I've been involved with in my life, it's just, I, I want to continue. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's not easy because the book business is about making money. Yeah. And, uh, I'm a salesman. Um, and it's hard to sell things that don't have a, a profit potential hmm. in front of them. Yeah. Very true. Well, I have such a good understanding of where you are and, you know, what you've accomplished. And it's such a vast list with 50 plus, you know, basically 50 years in this business. But what I want to ask you is what I ask all my guests, which is, what was your first hustle? The first thing you did for money back when you were just baby Peter, you know, maybe back in your childhood days, where did you grow up and, and what, uh, what was that first hustle? Well, my first real hustle is I shoveled snow. And I would get up early in the morning if there was a snowstorm, and I had a couple of accounts. And, you know, we're talking about 1963, 64. And if I could make 20 bucks on a snowy morning and I would come home, my mother would have a hot lunch for me. I always look forward to those homemade mashed potatoes and gravy and maybe some turkey or some chicken. Sounds good. After working my butt off. But if I could make 20 bucks on a Saturday morning or, or, or whenever it was, if school was closed, um, that, was a, that was a good move. So that was my first hustle. Cool. But I had a lot of hustles. When I was um, in um, high school, I was a disc jockey, and I used to rent a fire hall for 15 bucks and hire a couple of cops for 10 bucks each and take out a bunch of ads. Radio spots were $5 then. And uh, I was Peter with the heater, the big boss with the big hot sauce, the teenage leader, the teenage greeter. Come and do the discophonic walk. So, oh I man, make, I would make That's a couple epic. hundred bucks. Uh, I used to charge like a buck seventy-five for a dance, and my dances were packed. And then I got shut down because I lived in uh, in southwest of Atlantic City, and my dance was so popular that guys would come over from Atlantic city and they found glue sniffing bags in the parking lot. 
Oh. So the cops shut me down. So guys were coming over no from sniffing Atlanta glue. City. They were sniffing glue. Oh, oh man. It shut me down. Well, that's then, a, that's yeah. great. I mean, honestly, those are two great hustles. I, I want to. I got one more. All right. Let me, hear, let me hear. Let me hear. Then I formed Pete's Gardening Service. Oh. My mother, who owned uh, a uh, uh, an antique and furniture store, always had a truck, and so I had access to a truck, and I a peace gardening service. We clip your lawn, not you. There you go. And I had a woman come out to me one day. I had a couple guys working for me, and I had my best friend for oh. God, 55 or so years, Dr. Albert Marchetti was my partner one year because it was my business. It was 60-40. So we pull up in front of a lady's house. We were cutting 40, 50 lawns a week wow. uh, in the summertime. So I had a business going on, and we pull up in front of this house, and I've got two assistants with me and Albert, and the woman comes out in front of me, my, uh, in front of Albert, my assistant, and looks right at me and says, Peter, would you clip my bush? <laughs> and I said, ma'am, I'd be happy to clip your bush. And she says, would you like to come inside and have a beer? <laughs> so unbeknownst to me, we had a client that was a cougar. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> so, the, so that was a hustle. Yeah, that turned into another hustle. Well, <laughs> I, I had a girlfriend uh, at the time. So uh, we that I, I, I dodged oh, that bullet. You didn't cut her bush then. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I am, if you wanted me to pull up my sleeve, I've got like 23 watches on this one and 23 on this one. I'm a salesman. I'm a born salesman. My mother <laughs> always used to say, son, if you can sell it today and make a profit, sell it. You'll sell something tomorrow. Yep. You would say, son, there's a buyer for everything. There you go. God those bless are, you, mom. Yeah, for real. Well, those were awesome hustles. Thank you for sharing those. I want to ask you a couple more questions, then I'm going to get into the rapid fire round, and then we're going to wrap this interview up. What is a happy hustle hack that you use for your health? Something that you use that's allowed you to stay in the shape you are, you know, you're in excellent condition and, you know, still crushing it. And I, I think you have some valuable health tips. I know Stephanie always mentions how health conscious you are. What are some of your happy hustle hacks for health in like bite-sized form? Give it to me quick. Well, I couldn't be more conscious of health than, than anybody. Remember, I, I, I don't know what, you know this. I battled cancer for five years. Mm. I was told, well, it's now five and a half years since I was diagnosed, but I was told about, uh, five years ago that I had three years or less to live. And uh, wow. so I had three different bouts with cancer, chemotherapy, radiation, and I wound up taking a miracle drug that, that cured me. It was uh, uh, um, $39,000 a month, this drug for 90 pills. I only took it for two, two and a half weeks. And it, 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 it was, I thought I was taking a poison, but it cured me. My oncologists are, happy about that. But being conscious of everything you consume is very important. One of the great things about Stephanie is she's so knowledgeable about food. And I'm blessed to be with my daughters now. They're both vegetarians. And um, we're my youngest daughter, Margo, loves to cook and she's very creative. So I don't drink as much. I mean, being the social animal that I was, I mean, <laughs> a cocktail before dinner, 
three glasses of wine with dinner and an aperitif or an after dinner drink or whatever. It was too much and it went on for decades. Yeah. Um, being a major, I'm a literary lion, but carnivore, I love steak. I used to love veal chops. I haven't had a veal chop in years. Hmm. I mean, I was a nut for those big, thick veal chops. Um, lamb, I still eat occasionally lamb. I love tomahawk steaks. I uh, On um, Memorial Day, I, I grilled a couple of big, fat uh, ribeye uh, <laughs> Fed tomahawk steaks. They were delicious. The fat was marbling. So I eat a lot less meat. I won't eat any fish that's not wild caught, wild shrimp. Uh, I'm trying to avoid all processed foods and sugar. Sugar is a killer. Sugar is an absolute killer. I was a sugar addict and, you know, Hershey's candy bars, you know. Heath bars, uh, uh, Knickers or Snickers, uh, you know, Mars bars. I mean, all that chewing gum yep. I and mean, all that stuff. We white bread. I mean, there's so many things on. I mean, we're representing a book called The Food Mafia. Hmm. Uh, it's going up against the sugar cartel. Yep. Well, there's the food cartel, there's the sugar cartel, and there's the energy cartel, and then there's the drug cartel. They give you drugs to cure you of something, but then they make you sick in another way yeah so to be health conscious if you want to the, the, the problem is is when you get older when you're in your 80s most of the medical problems ever in your lifetime will pop up on you and you'll possibly spend more on medicine and curing yourself in the last year or two of your life hmm um, so you got to be prepared for it. you seem to be very healthy i mean i uh, i think Steffi tells me you work out God bless you, man. Keep yep. it up. Thank you. If you want to win in life, you got to be healthy and you got to be really conscious of food. Yeah. And um, big Good business points. will sell you. Big business will sell you anything. Yeah, it's true, man. You you said it right. Diet is essential. We talk about it a lot on the Happy Hustle podcast, and you know, really how you have to optimize not only your body but your mind and your spirit, and how they're all connected. So, great points there. I want to get into the rapid fire round, Peter. This is basically where I just ask you random questions, and you tell me first thing that comes to mind. Okay. All right, man. All right, let's do this. Ready? First question is favorite movie. Go. Dr. Zhivago. Ooh. Favorite food? Uh, clams and spaghetti. All right. Favorite book? And this is tough. <laughs> um, favorite book? Uh, Steppenwolf. Nice. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but what's your spirit animal? <laughs> lion. Yeah, it's definitely a lion. Best business advice? Integrity. Hmm. Maximum integrity. I so agree with that. Don't ever say anything you're not going to do and mean. Yep. And it's true. That is so, so true. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? One superpower? Yep. Um, so rapid fire round, Bound, Peter. Boundless love. Boundless <laughs> love. Nice. I like it. One word you wish to be synonymous with your name for the rest of your life. Integrity. Three things you're most grateful for right now in this moment. My health, um, my, my family, 
and my, my freedom. Great job. Crush that rapid fire round. All right, Peter, where can people go to find out more about you, to find out more about Global Lion, and to potentially even connect? I know you have an amazing newsletter that people could sign up for and get awesome author advice. Give us some links and some websites or or your social media profiles where people can find out more about you. Well, they can go to YouTube and type in um, Peter Miller hyphen the literary lion. There are many other Peter Millers out there. Um, but, but only you know, one literary lion. Yeah, uh, to my knowledge, there's only one. So it's Peter Miller hyphen the literary lion, and a bunch of stuff will pop up, including some clips about the publishing business. I also have a favorite film on there. If you type in Jackson Pollock, Peter Miller, uh, it's a homage to my late brother, Robert Miller, who was an art dealer. Love that. Hmm. We have a website which is the full spelling of globallionmanagement.com. Okay. Globallionmanagement, M-A-N-A-G-E-M-E-N-T.com. And uh, my assistant, Charlie, uh, handles a, uh, does a great job. He's been with me for a couple of years. I don't know what I do without him. I'm dependent on Stephanie now for her sage advice. <laughs> Char- Charlie's website uh, is charlie. At- His email, Yeah. Yeah, his email, charlie at globallionmgt.com. Um, if you go to um, our website, you can find a link to the article I met, mentioned, promote, promote, promote. And there's a way you can sign up for our newsletter on there. Um, and also, you can always call us, um, uh, 754-222-6948. Um, I mean, I come from a world where I used to get maybe 75 phone calls a day. Wow. I still get an enormous amount of emails. I used to have nine people working for me. And uh, all, the, all the submissions would come in. Uh, the, the mailman would bring a big canvas bag full of mail every day. So I was getting around 500 or so pieces of mail a week. Wow. So we used to have cases of unread manuscripts in my office I, i'm visualizing that now that's changed because everything's digital yep um we're extremely selective about representing anyone okay i have a, a very good acumen for choosing people that are trustworthy and honest and sincere mm-hmm. and that don't have a lot of baggage i don't represent murderers i don't represent pornography I don't represent poetry. There's a couple of things I, I, I don't represent. <laughs> um, um, and, um, and now you're more focused on impact, too. So if you have a spiritual book or, or something of positivity or love or consciousness, now that's more your realm, correct? Yeah, and, and that, that's um, uh, wrapped in the package of a brand. Yep. So if somebody has long-term goals to build a brand, uh, because it's just not writing a fabulous book. It's being able to market it, too. And gotcha. that's, the, that's the thing that really a lot of writers don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. But I can't represent somebody that doesn't have a brand. Now, we're trying to do something now with a very famous actress like Angelina Jolie. Somebody we know wrote a great book. Stephanie's read it called Seed and Spark. But he's not that famous. But if we get Angelina Jolie involved or Malala or Greta Thunberg or somebody 
with a brand, then mm-hmm. it'll be a much more attractive package. And by the way, publishers right now are only buying big stuff. Yeah. They're not looking at little stuff, particularly during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. When things settle down, they'll get back to a more traditional publishing uh, program. But right now, if you want to sell something, you need to sell something great um, that has something, uh, you know, that maybe has some cachet involved, i.e. a famous name. Okay. Well, um, that's good to know. So, globallionmanagement.com. You can sign up. You can get their newsletter, promote, promote, promote the article Peter Miller wrote. And you can follow him online on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter. I got the links linked up. I'll link them up in the show notes as well. And then if you really have a manuscript or something that you want to share with him or want to contact him, you can call him or send Charlie, his amazing assistant, a email at it's charlie at globallionmgt.com. Those were, that was an awesome interview. Thank you so much, Peter. Last question before we say goodbye. What does happy hustling mean to you? It's interesting. When, when I heard the name of your, your podcast, Happy Hustling, um, it means a lot of things. But with to see your face and this, to feel your spirit, um, happy hustle, hustling's cute. Um, I'm a happy hustler. I you mean, are. I, I, I make no bones about it. I am a New York street fighter, uh, but I hustle IP. I'm in the intellectual property business. I'm not selling scams or cons. I'm selling words. I'm selling valuable words. And I've represented some extremely important and some famous people like Sir Ken Robinson, a world-renowned educator, uh, the great Vincent Bugliosi, most famous prosecutor in America. He wrote Elder Skelter, sold over 7 million copies. He's written three number one New York Times bestsellers. Wow. Um, I've represented some movie stars, Linda Evans. I did the first Linda Evans beauty book. So I've been blessed, and it's important that your audience strive for greatness because mediocrity is not going to work in the modern world if you want to break out as an author. Nope. Um, So uh, happy hustling means really what the words say, happy and happiness, happiness is a, is a a lifestyle. Yeah. It's not just a, um, something you just don't appear happy. You got to work on being happy every day on it's a, it's a tapestry that you weave with your, your, your expressions, words, the words you use, they all weave the tapestry of happiness and the hustle is really it's not a negative word it's a positive word because we all have to hustle yeah i've really never worked for anybody i mean i work for my clients but i've all i'm, I'm like a, a a maverick i'm a freak and um, <laughs> um i um a lot of people say peter do you have a business card and i say no but i have a reputation There you go. I love it. Peter Miller, everyone. Thank you so much, Peter, for sharing your love and light and the wisdom of the 50 plus years in the literary and IP business. It has been a true honor. I appreciate you sharing. You're aging me. You're aging me, dude. It's only 48 years. 48. Almost. All right. I'll celebrate. Thank (laughs) Thank you, you, Peter. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, brother. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Happy Hustle Podcast. I truly am so grateful that you took the time out of your busy day to spend time with me. 
Now, if you got any value from this episode or any episodes in the past, it would mean the world to me if you could please leave a five-star review and share this episode with your friends so we can continue to spread this message. Guys, as always, it's been a blast. Now go out there and happy hustle for your dream reality. Yeah.